Welcome to the FitMind Project with your hosts, me, Laura Ash. And me, Barry Ash. Hey guys, and welcome to tonight's webinar. It's absolutely fantastic to see you all here. Um, you're going to see um, our screen is kind of split because we have a special guest with us this evening. Um, and I will just introduce him in two seconds, okay, for you. So guys, um, we are so lucky today to have with us Simone Vinzetti. If I spe have I said that right, Simone? You, you were 85% there. Okay. 85%. Okay. What is, tell me. Is a Simone Vincenzi. Vincenzi. Vin Simone Vincenzi. I love it. I love it. 100% there. And you had the accent as well. I love it. I love it. AKA though, the Italian stallion of the speaking industry. Okay. Simone is an award-winning TEDx speaker who has quite an inspirational story, guys, to tell. And he is also the master of the didgeridoo, hence we've got them behind us. Uh, Simone started his career working in the catering industry at some of Europe's top Michelin star restaurants as a manager. But he realized there was something more in life and he decided to start his own career as a public speaker and a coach, which has made him and is making him a massive success and a good fortune from it. And he's also won awards for this. But not everything in his life has been roses and light because in actual fact, Simone was actually homeless for a while and lived on the streets of King's Cross Station and St Pancras. But his story is pretty incredible back to his fortune. So today we are very lucky to be joined by him and he's going to talk to us about his story and his amazing resilience. So thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for the opportunity, guys. I, I always appreciate this, uh, this kind of opportunities. Don't take them for granted, and uh, I'm, I'm here for you. Any question, just shout it. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. So well, let, let's get cracking. Let's get straight into it, because it seems like you, you must have built up such massive resilience in your life. I mean, especially working in a restaurant, you know, we see it on TV and especially the Michelin Star Wars, that's really high pressure. You know, that must have been tough right beginning there for you. You know what? I'm one of these kind of people that uh, I thrive uh, um, with challenges. So if something is not challenging enough for me, then I switch off. I'm not engaged. I don't give my best. But when there is the challenge which is thrown at me, I'm the kind of person that wants to be the best at everything. I don't know if you, if you know some of these kind of annoying people that want to be the best at everything they do. That, that's kind of, <laughs> that's me. I love it. And so for me, actually, that motivated me to uh, be the best I could be in the catering industry. And uh, that led me to manage my first Michelin star restaurant when I was 19, which was something crazy for some people. But... Uh, I, I I was putting so much work in it because I hated school, and I did, so I didn't want to spend time in school. And uh, I needed to have an excuse for my mom to do something more productive with my life and uh, get doing a job. It was it was the other thing. So yeah. <laughs> that's how we, it all started. So nineteen years old in a restaurant like that. I mean, you must be very good with um, organizing and you know sort of. 
really good at discipline, that side of it. You, you know what? It's really fascinating because actually organization is not my strongest skill. Okay. Uh, you can ask my, my, my wife to be uh, <laughs> She did all the wedding planning. <laughs> 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 she put up all these spreadsheets and ads. I actually followed orders on, on that side, a little very militant. But um, in there, yes, I'm good at organizing stuff, but my greatest skills uh, is uh, people and communication. Hence why then I became a speaker. But what uh, people realize, the reason why I became so successful in the catering industry is because uh, all the clients of restaurants loved me and therefore they were buying more as well in the restaurant. So the owner wanted to keep me there and they were offering me more and more higher paid opportunities because I was very switched on, very fast, got a job done well. And in particular, the guests had an incredible experience. So they were recommending me a lot, a lot, a lot. Yeah. Mm. So everything was going really well there, clearly. But what happened? Tell us your story. Tell us what happened. I, I got bored. Oh, wasn't a challenge <laughs> enough for you, was it? You know, you have speakers that have this incredible journey where uh, I found I hated my life and I didn't find something. No, actually, it's not like this. I loved what I was doing, but uh, at the age of 22, because I started working in restaurants when I was 14, I already had an eight-year career in the catering industry uh, full-time. Yeah. So I said... I. I'm at the top right now. I don't know what else to do here. So I started actually looking to manage a company, to manage a, a chain of restaurants. That was my next step. Therefore, I started going to websites and uh, um, going to trainings. And, and that's where I started going to seminars. And that's something happened when I was in a seminar that really was unexpected, really completely unexpected. Which seminar was it? I actually don't remember exactly which seminar was it. I think one of the, the, the one, I remember the one where I made the decision that this was what I wanted to do, that speaking was what I wanted to do. It was a, a seminar with a coaching academy and where I actually signed up with them to become a professional coach. That was the day where I made a commitment and I said, I want to become a coach. I want to become a speaker. I want to help people. I don't know how it's going to work, <laughs> but I'm going to do it. I love it. And so what was that turning point then? What, what, what did you do from then? Because obviously you're, you've got a really good career where you are, but you're getting a bit bored. But you've been to this seminar and you had this realisation. And what went through your mind at that point? What went through my mind, uh, first of all, was uh, excitement because uh, it was something new. It was uh, the ch new challenge that I was looking for. I was uh, very comfortable where I was. I was getting tired. I wasn't performing as well. So now it gave me, again, a reason why to be the best person I could be. Yeah. That was uh, what happened inside me. And on the other side, it unlocked in me a passion for learning, yeah. which I didn't really have at school. And that was really weird because I... Probably since the age of 22, when I started this journey, I probably read four books if I was lucky. So, <laughs> and then I found myself reading like two books or one book a week. Really? And I was like, what is going on here? <laughs> I don't know if you guys found the same, but for me, something unlocked and it was, I wanted to know as much as possible 
mm. about uh, coaching, about speaking, about spirituality, uh, about and then and then about business, and uh, it, it never stopped, and it, it came, became an addiction for me. Oh, I, I can resonate with that. So true. Throughout my school career, I was like, didn't like books, didn't like reading. But now all of a sudden, yeah. I can't get up every morning without picking up a book. I have yeah. to have that search yeah. for knowledge, whether it's in the fitness, whether it's about self-development, whether it's about business, whether it's about sort of boys' toys and so forth, gadgets and stuff. I have to pick something up and I have to learn about it. And it's just weird how we change as we go through our years, isn't it? Exactly. And I think what I've learned from that experience is that... Uh, it's not. A, I think that the school system, what it does, it enforces knowledge on people without enrolling them. But once someone finds what they really want to do and what they're really passionate about, there is no forcing. They want to soak as much as possible mm. to achieve the result that they want to get or pers- or just personally so that they can be better people or they can know more. Uh, it, about themselves, about life, about business, whatever it's going to be. That was fascinating. And then I think it's fascinating that learning becomes so much easier. If it's forced upon you, then you, you sort of always push away. But as soon as you get that freedom and you find your passion, it's so much easier to learn and absorb it and keep it in there, isn't it? Or do you find the same? Yeah, yeah, I definitely found the same. Mm. I definitely found the same. Because there's my memory retains much more because again I'm focused I want to learn it so yeah. I, I I say to my mind I can remember as much as possible no bother <sighs> <laughs> really right now <laughs> <laughs> exactly so with all of this in inside of you now this passion what did you do what were the next steps because obviously you had to say I'm gonna leave the restaurant. What were the next steps? How did you, how did you, you know, sort of progress there? I said I'm going to start my business. <laughs> yeah, and what happened? The stupidest, thing, the stupidest thing I've ever done in that moment. <laughs> why? And I'm saying why? Because I had no freaking clue about how to run a business and. Uh, I remember going to all this seminar and to say how easy it was, or you know, if you believe you can achieve. I plant your belief. I mean, man, self belief is not something I'm lacking. Yeah. I'll tell yeah. you. But I didn't know what the freak I was doing. So I think that by following just blindly these messages that was, if you want it bad enough, it will happen. Well, I mean, you got to know also what the heck you're doing. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, you, you can't pay the rent. Very true. <laughs> so, what happened actually in that moment I quit the restaurant and in the same at the same time my grandfather died in Italy and at that point my mom was very close to his father which was my grandfather and I haven't I didn't talk to my mom I haven't talked to my mom for more than three years because when I came to the UK the way I came to the UK was mom I'm leaving in two weeks I'm going to live in London so if you can imagine that the average Italian person, Italian man, lives with their family and with their mom and dad up until they are 35, 40 years old. Wow. Which I think is insane. I think it's a bit, it's a bit mental. <laughs> but anyway, let's <laughs> not digress. Then I was there at 21 saying, my mom leaving without notice. So let's say my mom didn't take it very easy, didn't take it very well, and she decided to stop talking to me. 
now we have a beautiful relationship right now, but I've learned in these years, I've learned so much about personal development in those years that I took it as an opportunity to reconnect with my mom. Because I said, if I am learning all this and I'm actually not using it, I'm very stupid. <laughs> so it's not important. It doesn't matter if I read two books a week, but if I don't use what I've learned, totally. that was the point. So I decided then to put it to practice and I went back to Italy and uh, to support my mom. But then I realized that in my savings, I had only enough money to go back to Italy, back and forth, and uh, live in Italy because my mom was giving me accommodation, of course, but not in London. And I didn't want my mom to know because uh, I knew that my mom would have never allowed me to uh, not to have a place to stay in London. But I knew at the same time that my main priority was to rebuild a relationship with her. And at the same time in London, I was doing my courses and my coaching studies. And I had my deadlines and I wanted to respect them. So I said, well, if I go back to Italy for two weeks and then I can be in London in two weeks, then I can be with my mom and finish my studies. But guys, the problem was that because I didn't have enough money to stay in London, I needed to find a place to stay. And that's where I spent most of my night in front of King's Cross St. Pancras Station. And inside also the Costa Coffee. So, because I got a good relationship with the guys and they allowed me to stay there and, you know, I had my little network, I was doing some work and meanwhile, still like going my courses, building my business and so on. And my mom didn't know anything about this at the time. So, I actually made myself homeless. <laughs> but I made myself homeless for a reason which was stronger than having a roof over my head, which was at the time building a relationship with my mom and uh, going through the courses I wanted to go through. So that's how I ended up being in that situation. Wow. So you sacrificed everything really for the relationship with your mom and for, you know, your coursework. That's true, like, real dedication there. That's, that's pretty awesome. That's, that's pretty dedicated definitely what was going through your mind at the moment because a lot of people you think oh my god homelessness you know poor you know basically begging for food this kind of stuff um but you you know the way you kind of went about it and had to separate it is something completely different i mean how were you how did you get about on your day-to-day -day kind of goings about how did you deal with all of that uh, you know what? For me, it was pretty cool. Yes. <laughs> it was a, it was an experience. Yeah. It was an experience. And what I love in my life is having cool experiences. So for me, that was uh, my new challenge. Uh, I told you about challenges. I love challenges. And I'm best when there are challenges moments. That's where I give my best. So for me, it was just another moment where another challenge where I could give my best. So uh, I do a lot of work with young people. And when I share with them my story, they were thinking, but what were you thinking about yourself? Yeah. I mean, you were home. How was your self-esteem there? And I was like, nothing really changed. It was me. And I guess it's because also it was my choice to be in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't that I was forced upon me by external causes. I chose to live this life and to be with my mom and to do my studies. No one told me. So for me, I knew that I always had a backup plan. And in particular, I could go back and work in a restaurant whenever I wanted. So I kind of had all my safety net. Mm. It's not that uh, I had no plan B. 
I knew that if I needed any help or something wasn't working, I could just go back to you know, restaurants. So what I was doing there, yes, I was begging for food, and uh, it, it was also really interesting to to see how many great people are out there and uh, how many people then don't give a damn are out there <laughs> about social issues. Now, um, I'm not saying that everyone should give to homeless because everyone can do what they want with their money. There are some homeless people that I help and some homeless people that I don't help. <laughs> so if I were to go and help every homeless person in the world, I, I wouldn't have even money to have a roof over my head. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it was really interesting and uh, looking at all the good that there was in the world in that moment. Mm-hmm. It was fascinating and uh, it, it opened my heart and gave me a big, even a bigger reason why to be, to be in this industry. Yeah. So you was on the streets under your own sort of esteem, really. And every time we go through life, we have like, these big sort of um, situations, like you're homeless, then you've got your job, and then you've done this and done this. So living on the streets, what would you say the biggest lesson you've learned from being on the streets would be? A big takeaway that, you've taken yeah, away but, from it. Yeah, yeah, thank you for the question. That uh, everything changes. I uh, see that a lot of people are attached to the success and a lot of people are attached to failure or they get really devastated when something critical happens. And don't get me wrong, there are some real traumas that happen in people's life. I mean, probably you've experienced something, I've experienced mm-hmm. something, and everyone else has been a big trauma. So it's not easy to get back up. I think there are some... What I realize is that everything changes. And uh, so right now, what I'm reminding myself, uh, if there is something, uh, I remember one, um, uh, I started my business and I paid £1,500 to my accountant to do all my accounts for the year, up front. And then with that money flew to Brazil and I never heard about him again. Oh. So, <laughs> even, <laughs> yeah, so in that, in that moment you can imagine that I was pretty pissed. Yeah. <laughs> I was really pissed. Yeah. Again, everything changes. So, hey, thousand five hundred pound, I'll make it back. And then there are moments where, uh, for example, when uh, I had the privilege to share the stage with Les Brown or uh, doing an event with Gary Vaynerchuk, and for me, we were like, okay, I, I am. I felt like I am God in this moment. And then I reminding myself, yeah, but everything changes. So. Don't get too attached to this because uh, tomorrow you, you're back to normal. Yeah. So it's uh, really fascinating to think that uh, the person that inspired me the most in thinking in this way while I was there, because I was still reading and learning uh, in that situation, was uh, Dr. John Demartini. Yeah. And that was an eye-opening when I heard his words. And uh, then a few months ago, I had the privilege to do an event with him where I was hosting one of his events. So it was, it's, it's not almost coming, everything coming full circle. It was, it was fascinating. Yeah, that's excellent. I mean, what was, I mean, because you, you do, you must have been like the most happiest homeless person in London. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like, you must have been, definitely. But you say, you know, you would notice how other people would react. So some people would, you know, sort of give you money when you were begging for food. Some people would walk past. Do you, do you think that a lot of people get embarrassed? They don't quite know what to do or how to react? Do you know what I mean? Because we do see people suffering, but it's like, what do we do? Do we say something or do we not? Or Do you know what I mean? That's a very great point. And I think it was something interesting that I found also in myself. 
uh, in the way I deal with uh, with homeless people because uh, I, I, there are a lot of people that would love to give but they don't they, in that situation they don't want to so what they're doing they are avoiding so you feel you see that actually you are there and they are taking the longer journey like they, they are doing everything they can to avoid you right yeah. and then there are people that just walk past and go straight and don't even care about you and then there are people that at least acknowledge you and they nod and they smile and uh, say have a good day yeah. and I think that even that is important so yes I think there is no training about how to deal with uh, with people that have difficulties and uh, and everyone is a different perception everyone is a different uh, is in a different moment in their life like there are moments for example uh, if i have a problem at home i my my urgency is to solve my problem at home rather than thinking about this person on the street yeah definitely. and i think that's fair yeah and i think that's fair because uh, I personally believe, and I don't know if because I'm Italian or not, but if I have to help someone, I start with my family. Yeah. When my family is sorting out, then I can expand the reach. Yeah. Of course, I can still help other people, but my main priority is my family. And, uh, and so that's why I wouldn't blame other people for that. <laughs> Does your mum know the situation now, though? Does she know what you went through now? Yeah, I, to- I-, I, told, her, I told her last year. What did she say? Uh, like she started crying and she said, you're crazy. <laughs> Oh, bless her. <laughs> so the cries that is sobbing. You're crazy. You didn't tell to do that. Ah, you don't it. proper hardly crying. <laughs> well, sorry, while we're talking about the homeless part of your life, um, and if there's anybody listening to the podcast we're going to do um, that is homeless or they know someone's homeless, what advice would you give them about being homeless and about making them move and sort of moving forward with their life? That's a very good point. So when you're seeing an homeless, uh, first of all, you don't need to help everyone. And uh, if you want to ignore them, it's fine. Ignore them. Like, there is nothing wrong with that. But if you really want to help someone, there are a few things that they are looking for. Because, And I say also because uh, I'm taking a few homeless people out of the street right now. Mm. It's part of our uh, company, what we're doing. We're taking a good chunk of money every month, and we are actually paying for food and accommodation to homeless people. And uh, what I realized is that they need three things. They need food, they need accommodation, and they need uh, um, some time support to get back into employment. So if you don't want, if you don't have money to give, you can give them their time. Even spending two minutes and talking to them. Remember, they are used to seeing thousands of people every single day passing in front of them, not even looking at them. So even if you stop for a second, you acknowledge them, you give them a smile and say, I'm sorry, I cannot give you anything right now, but have a great day. Mm-hmm. I hope your situation is going to be better. Mm-hmm. There is going to be a 10% of homeless that uh, they are going to say, like, fuck all, uh, all that. That's fine. Don't be attached to the reaction. Yeah. But there's going to be a 90% of homeless that's, then it is going to make their day. Because you were probably the only one who took the time to acknowledge them and acknowledge their situation. Mm. Or sometimes you can, if you want, you can help. You can say, hey, um, what kind of help do you need? I have no money to give you right now. Is there anything else I can do for you? Some of them will say no. Some of them, for example, remember this story. And there was this guy called Pietro, which actually was uh, from Romania and lived in Italy. And uh, he told me, I asked, I told him, I'm sorry, I have nothing to give you right now, but is there anything else I can do to help you? 
And he said, well, I need uh, a, an address because without an address, I cannot find a job. Because that's why a lot of people are homeless. Because in the UK, to have a job, you need to have an address. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, but without the job, they cannot get a place where to live. <laughs> so they cannot get an address. Crazy. And um, places for that help homeless people that give these kind of addresses, they have a, a limited amount of people that they can help all the time. So he couldn't get in. He was in the queue, still waiting for his address. And I told him, okay, use my address. And I gave, me, gave him my address. Now, you need to be aware because some people will say, oh, did you give your own address? No, I didn't give my own address because I don't know this person. I don't know who they know. So you need always to yeah. put that in context. Yeah. But if you have an address that you can give them, why not? Yeah. That might be actually the only thing they need to find a job. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's it, yeah, it's so interesting because you do you see people on the street and you you feel like you want to, but then you know if you haven't got any money, then but the fact that you can say, "Is there anything else I can do for you?" is fantastic. I mean, it's I mean, I'm I'm ex police, so I know how dangerous it can be on the streets. Did you come across anything at all whatsoever which was pretty dangerous or you know put your life you know or, or your safety at you know at risk or anything? Uh, I was very lucky, no, uh, but I, I think that if you see, I don't know, so, some people that put themselves in dangerous situation, they're kind of looking for them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so everywhere I was going, I was going, I was looking for somewhere safe. Yep. So if I, for example, was uh, staying during the night, I was looking for a big park where uh, I knew that if in case something would happen, I was not on the street because honestly, you never know. There is some someone is drunk, is, yeah. is out of their mind, and they took some drugs, and they beat up homeless people for that just uh, because yeah. they are drunk, right? So I didn't want to put myself and to say, okay, well, what, where can I be safe? So this was uh, uh, one of the main priorities. Also, in uh, 28 years of age, I never had a fight in my life. I never punched someone in my life, so. I'm like, I, I, as soon as I see it, like a situation where there is a fight, I'm like, no, it's not for me. Okay. I don't want to get it. <laughs> I, call me chicken, call me whatever way you want, but if there is a physical confrontation and I don't need to be involved, why should I? Yeah. It's sensible. Very sensible. I call that sensible, not right? chicken. Definitely. Now, if there is someone harassing my woman, that's different. Yeah. Hopefully, that never, that never happened. Yeah. <laughs> right? That, that never happened. So, never had to. So, okay, so tell us then, how did you go from being where you were, working in Costa Coffee, getting your business set up, to where you are now? I mean, some of our guys might not know who Les Brown or Gary Venucek are, but, you know, I'll let you explain who these guys are and everything, but these are big, big players, and especially Martini as well. Yeah. Uh, so... The way I ended up, so who are those people? If you can imagine, uh, if you love football, it's almost like uh, I've played a football match uh, in the same team of uh, Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. That's probably the, the easiest way I can explain. If you are following basketball like me, it's almost like uh, I was in the same team uh, of um, LeBron James uh, or Steph Curry, <laughs> right? So this is uh, the, the, the easiest way I can explain. 
who those people are. So if you don't know who they are, make sure you check them out. Les Brown, Gary Vaynerchuk, Dr. John and Martini. They've been around for years and they have a very powerful message about personal development, business, uh, uh, knowing yourself. Uh, and they are like the, the titans of the industry. And uh, when I started working uh, as a speaker and took speaking really seriously, I knew that I wanted to share the stage with those kind of people. Um, for a few reasons. Uh, one, uh, it, for connection, because I wanted to connect with them. I wanted to see them live. And also, uh, on the other part, if you're looking at different stages, if you are a football player and uh, you want to be a great football player, you want to play in the best team. Sure. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. So this is, uh, th- this is how I ended up, and I wanted to become the best speaker I could be. So I remember that I started applying for speaking gigs, and no one knew me, never had a video about myself. So guess what? How many speak did I got? How many speaking gigs did I get? None. <laughs> Zero. Nada. And so I said, well, start running my own events. And I started running my own events. And the first time there, was, uh, there were four people. And we were in an organic farm called the straw bale room in Hackney City Farm. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No. It was an organic farm and it, it was like this straw bale room and there were pigs around, but I had a venue and I didn't have to pay for it. So I was the happiest person in the world. And and then there were four people, two were the speakers. One was my business partner's father and the, the other one was just like a, the only person who actually came, which we made sure it was like, chained in the chair and didn't leave the room. Do not leave. <laughs> Do not leave or your life is in danger. So they're probably going to be the first fight of my life if you leave. And, <laughs> and then we started running events since then. And in the past three years, I run more than 500 events. Wow. It's been almost insane my speaking during the past three years. And that led me, running so many events, you get to know people. And getting to know people and also you become really good at what you do. And then uh, I started receiving calls from people. Hey, I've seen you around. Can you can you speak at this for me? Can you speak here? Or uh, in, I was reaching out and say uh, to event organizers, hey, do you need any help? I've run more than 500 events. Maybe you can use me for something. <laughs> I might have a bit of experience in this. And that's actually how I got on stage with Les Brown. And they decided to have me as an MC in front of a thousand people. It was gorgeous, gorgeous experience. That's fantastic. I mean, the Gary Venichek one, that was at the York Boxing Hall. Is that yeah, the one that was at yeah. York Boxing Hall. We went to that we event. Was, we, was we, in the crowd. we were in the crowd. That's brilliant. So we made sure at that event that uh, everything was running perfectly. So what happened, the organizer of the event, up until four days before the event, they never organized an event before. And so they didn't have a bloody clue on how to do it. And I connected with them somehow, I think it was during a blob, and I, I said, hey, guys, do you need any help? And it said, uh, uh, Frank uh, said, uh, well, I, we have one hour to get uh, into the room, and uh, I have four people helping out. Maybe we could use some of your, your experience. Yeah. said, okay, guys, don't worry. I'll sort everything out. So I got all the teams, all the crew members, we are the majority of my clients, which we get all together and made sure that uh, in one hour we went in, everything was ready for registration and the event was running. 
so then I started receiving all this kind of call, and that was a great experience meeting Gary Vaynerchuk backstage, and mm. and also being able to pull out such a, an event. I, I hope you enjoyed that event. Oh, loved it. It was, it was absolutely events. fantastic. I loved um, Sean Whelan. He was one of my favourite. Oh my god. It's sick. Love it. Love it. You can it's do that. We've been trying to do that I've thing with the fingers. I've been trying to learn the thing with the finger. I know. I'm trying to learn it. Well, that, that's what I teach in my advanced, advanced trainings. You know, like a thousand pounds. We may have to come aboard. I love it. I love it. Oh, I love it. Fantastic. I say, Gary Vinicek is one passionate guy, isn't he? Mm. He knows what he wants, and he will tell you exactly what he believes in. Absolutely <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It is, definitely is. So, you know, I know that you love a challenge. So what's your next challenge that you've got coming up? Well, our next challenge is uh, change the, the the standard of the personal development industry and the seminary industry in particular. Yeah. Because uh, what I do mainly is uh, teaching speakers and trainers how to create events that sell. So how to create events that make money and they deliver an incredible experience at the same time. And the reason why I'm doing this, it is because I remember going to hundreds and thousands of seminars. And I hated the experience. And all the speakers that were making a lot of money were the speakers that were getting people to run at the back of the room. They were using all this manipulative technique. And literally, they were lying to people. Yeah. They were lying to people. And uh, I, my quest was, can I make the same amount of money but just telling the truth. And uh, so I spent the last three years figuring out how, how and uh, found a way. So we grew our company, uh, massively we were up to six figures and then going to multiple six figures and so on. And then uh, uh, helping other people running, other coaches, hundreds of coaches and speakers running their own events. So our aim right now is to make sure that our methodology gets spread as much as possible so there are honest people that uh, can make a, a great living while making a real impact in the, per, in the world and creating an incredible experience for people that are there. That's totally awesome. Cool. I've written one question. And also, I'm training, I'm training for, for, for a dunk. You do that's, that's my, that's Or I'm training to dunk because I play ah, basketball. Slam dunk. I, I want to dunk. Ah. And, 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 I, and I'm pretty small. So <laughs> that's, that's a big, that's probably, it, it, when I dunk, it's going to be the best, like the, really the biggest challenge of my life. That, I can't wait oh, to see a video of it on Facebook. I'm a, a, you got to wait probably a couple, two, three years for that. <laughs> you, so, you can do a layup, I take I'm, it. You can do a layup though, can't you? I can do a layup, I can, I can do all that, but I, I want to make sure that I go and get the rim and I need to get this, this much, this much of the rim. And at the moment, I've got... Uh, Let's say this much which is missing. So, uh, so what's that about? Twelve inches, twelve inches short of the rim. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, is is a lot to add to my job, but I, I'm a, I'm working on it. So yeah, that's driving with the arms. Cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I've just written a question down for you. You say you've been on stage with Gary Vaynerchuk, Les Brown. Who's if you could say, right, I want to be on stage with this one person, who is the one person that you want to be on stage with? And that would be like gold for you. A name is, which is coming to me right now. Is Laura and Barry Ash. Yes, yes. <laughs> of course. Let's organize an event together so we can tick it out of the box. That sounds good. <laughs> that, that, would be, that, that, would be, that would be great. 
Um, apart from you two guys, who else? Um, well, there is one which I really respect, which is Simon Sinek. Okay. Uh, author of Start With Why. Yes, I love Great him. Great book and TEDx talk. Uh, I was very... So I did an event. I emceed an event that was streamed live in the US. And uh, there was John C. Maxwell and Simon Sinek, but I wasn't there with them. So I was emceeing the, the London streaming. Yeah. yeah. So I could say that I did an event with that, but it was a virtual event. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but sharing the stage with Simon Sennett, that would be great. Uh, in my my bucket list, there is also Tony Robbins, which I think is in the bucket list of every speaker. I, I, I'm getting closer to him. I am seeing the Tony Robbins UPW preview, uh, so I, I've done that bit. So yeah. I'm getting closer. But uh, I stood. Yeah, he, he stood next to. Me. I, didn't, I didn't stand next to him. He stood next to me. Next to me, yeah. <laughs> When? When was that? That was at the... So we went to the National Achievers Congress just this year yeah. and we were sat in the aisle and he came and he stood right next to us. And he was talking next to us. And he spat all over me. And I was like, I'm never washing again. <laughs> he, is, he is a giant. He's huge. His teeth are bigger than me. He's massive. <laughs> I was a little bit scared though, I was like, please don't pick on me, please don't I, pick on I, me. I gave him a high five, I gave him a high five as he walked past, and it was like someone held a um, tennis racket against my hand, it was just like, oh my <laughs> god. <laughs> wow, that, that, that's incredible. Yeah. And so he, he chose you, he came, he came to you. Yeah, he chose us. Of course, of course, who else? Why wouldn't he? Exactly. Absolutely, absolutely, I love it. Yeah, the closest I've seen it, I think it was uh, probably like five feet. I think it was yeah. uh, when he went to when I went to UPW. Uh, I remember it was massive, but not that massive as you're describing. So. <laughs> I think I was like, oh my God, it's Tony Robbins. <laughs> I'll tag it's you in the picture. You know, which is really interesting, uh, how much... Like how high on a pedestal we put uh, our idols and people that we respect. Because mm. at the end of the day, they're just people. Oh, it's so like, true. I, I remember. We went to. Um, sorry. Yeah. We went no, to. Uh, what was it? To see Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yes. And right. he's just a man, but he walked out on the stage, and I felt so emotional. My bottom lip was like. Bub, 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 bub. I felt like I was going to cry just because this man walked out on stage and I've put him up here so high on a pedestal my entire life. And I was just like, oh my God, it's crazy how some person, and that's before he even spoke. It's fascinating how we work. Yeah. Because <laughs> I remember when I saw, when I, when I had a conversation with Les Brown, we were in the green room and I had a conversation with him. And at the beginning, I was very nervous. I, I didn't know. Uh, I think I spent my night sleepless awake thinking, what can I say to him? What question? How can I be smart with him? You know what? Just had a chat with him, gave me a present, and then we started talking. Yeah. And that was it. And in that moment, uh, it, it, it wasn't even this brown. And that made me realize, even when I'm thinking about like, how I want to connect with those people, I want to share the stage with them, uh, it's really fascinating how changed my perception is right now. Maybe because I've done, I've connected with many of them uh, at the moment, but it's just, they're just people. Mm. 
I think it's going to be really interesting. For, as a, for a business perspective, connecting with them is good for my brand. Yeah. So that, that, it, it's just like change. And of course, there are people that have respect greatly for the work that they do. But I don't feel that nervous as I was feeling before anymore because I've internalized this concept. Yeah, I don't know if it makes that. sense, guys. Yeah, yeah. I think that'd be I'm really interesting it. for our clients and uh, the guys listening on here. Um, how do you deal with nerves? You say you was nervous when you were speaking to Les Brown, but how do you actually internalize and actually focus their nerves down to actually sort of perform? Uh, I use a very simple formula. You want to know? Yeah, please. <laughs> can I swear? You can swear. Say whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> it's called fuck it. Love it. Fuck it. Brilliant. <laughs> it's called fuck it. So I go there and say, you know what, Simone? Fuck it. Go. <laughs> That's literally my way to deal with nerds. Yeah. My way to deal with it. I think, okay, fuck it. And go. And for me, it works. Is not the most brilliant technique that someone can use if you were looking, guys, for something super fancy or NLP or tapping or that. <laughs> uh, they have a place. <laughs> you know, they have a place. Don't get me wrong. There is a place for it that I use it. But when I'm nervous, uh, I think that the most important thing for me is to say, fuck it and get it go. I like that. It's like... Because the simple yeah, ones are the best ones. Definitely. We, you know, we did the uh, a talk for 120 teenagers, right? Teenagers. You're trying to get some interaction. They're all like... But we did get them up. We got them all interacting. And beforehand, you know, we saw the rest of the guys and it was a little bit touch and go with the you know there's the other speakers in there you know but we just went do you know what fuck it we did a high five and we went up there and did it <laughs> so it's it does work it's good it, it does and guys I, I commend you for working with teenagers is a is an is an interesting crowd <laughs> oh very Listen, much so. if we you know we i mean we we also work <laughs> with kids so age is like Five four to yeah four to seven isn't it mm. now we thought they were a tough crowd yeah. but teenagers now i've dealt with teenagers we can do anything <laughs> we can do anything yeah you, literally you can do anything uh, i mean a lot of, a lot of, I, I work with a lot of teenagers too in the do around like 100 schools a year, 150 schools a year with external organization, not through my company. Yeah. Because uh, I can't be bothered to deal with all the legal stuff that there are yeah. around setting up a company working for teenagers. So I love working for, for, for with young people and I said, let me work as a contractor. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I remember there are some moments where you're there and no matter what you're saying, they just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> They just don't care, and sometimes it just uh, you can leave there, talk it over you. Uh, oh, they remember this time I delivered a workshop in a pupil referral unit. Oh my God! Do you know guys what, what pupil referral units are? No, no. Okay, so basically, is that all the children and young people that are expelled from school oh. because they. Or they are selling drugs, or they are always getting into fights. So all people that generally have a lot of issues mm-hmm. in there, and then they put them all in in one place. Of course, it's the best thing to do, right? Put them all people that have the same behavior, put them all together, and um, it's all it's like a prison for teenager. <laughs> and I remember I was delivering a session there, and uh, I was uh, delivering a session in front of two people, 
there were four youth workers for two people. So there is a number of two to one because wow. you need to have two youth workers for one person there. Wow. And uh, I was like, there were the people inside. I, I managed to got them in because when I told them about it, I was smoking weed when I was a teenager and all that. Then I got them, right? But I was teaching them financial education. I had to use drug dealing as an example for them to get engaged. Yeah. Because that's what they knew. And they were brilliant at that, by the way. That's <laughs> the language. So, but the people, the young people outside were taking chairs and then were smashing at them at the front door. I, I, was, I was scared. I was thinking the first time in my life, I'd say, I'm lucky if I'm getting out alive from here. Yeah. Literally, that, that if I never, never again, it's not for me. Like no, there are no. people that do that. I respect them. I honor them. Not for me. Oh my god. <laughs> That's fair enough. I've done ten years in the prison service. Oh wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know how you did it. <laughs> I got out. <laughs> you got out. You got out. <laughs> Were you inside the prison or no? no yeah, yeah, I was. Uh, I was a PT in there, so I was, I was teaching the prisoners become physical training instructors. So I was teaching wow. teaching all the prisoners. Yeah. Wow. Good it's times. All... Good times. And um, Simon, I've got one more question before we go into our yeah. quick fire round. You see, you have massive, massive self belief, and commitment, and dedication. And you have a lot of faith in yourself. And I know that there's going to be a lot of listeners, and even guys now, who doubt themselves. Who are not sure they can do it, whatever it is they want to do. And I wonder, what is your tip or trick or what is it you say to yourself to help you have grown that skill? Uh one is the famous fuck it that works really well and because the reality is the more challenges you face the more confident you become that you can overcome those challenges but you you need to take them on board and a lot of people I think that uh, they don't have enough self-belief because they've been through challenges and uh, already shy away from them or they don't want to take them on board or they're not persistent enough to be there up until it works because yeah. then it tricks a thing inside your mind which says if I do this I can do anything yeah. and so my recommendation will be for someone who doesn't have my self belief to start small start doing something that you always resist, resisted doing which you say no I'm not going to do this but you know it's important for you yeah. it's not just random stuff you know something is important for you but you're putting it off to it and then tackle that one because then uh, you can start by something small, not the biggest one. And then you build your self-belief in there and then you're talking a bigger one and then a bigger one and then a bigger one and then a bigger one. I think that is the same principle of how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time. Yeah. So that, that, that's my main, I, I want to keep it very practical. Um, if you want, there are some incredible techniques like tapping or doing NLP or hypnosis, they work on that. But I think they are more external inputs yeah. rather than going they are like a soother for the moment they're like going I don't feel comfortable talking to, to girls or, or boys and then I'm getting a glass of wine so I can do that yeah. right so I personally believe that if you from where you are 
you can have the confidence of going out there without any external input or any external change is a bit more difficult, but it will build your self-belief much stronger because suddenly you don't need anything else external. You know that you just need yourself, and yes, there are plenty of time you're going to be uncomfortable, but you're not afraid of it. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thank mm. you. Listen up, people. You're he knows what he's talking about. Listen up, listen up. So, uh, it's time for the quick fire round. Awesome. Well, Simon, it, Simon, it's been, oh, it's just been so good to have you on here. And it's been Thank amazing. You. I, I had a blast. It's, it's great. Like, I love it. It's so good. <laughs> and this is the first time we've, pro- we've, we've properly talked as well. We've been in like the network for ages, haven't we? Mm. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and then uh, uh, started messaging on on Messenger to book this interview, and it, I can see, I can feel your energy from Messenger. We do your exclamation mark, but I see yes, <laughs> send me your email. All right. <laughs> like wow, it's, it's an email. <laughs> I have. We have a lot of energy. We have a lot of energy to give. We have a lot of love. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. I can, I, I can feel that. I can feel that through Facebook Messenger. So definitely, you have. <laughs> Excellent. I love it. I love it. So, are you ready? These are probably the eight most important questions you are ever going to be asked in your life. <laughs> are you ready for it? Drum rolls. Fire away, Okay, so number one. Yeah, put his more Number one. What is your most inspirational quote? Most inspirational quote... Uh, is that purpose will get you started, strategy will get you there. Ah. Love it, excellent, excellent. Your favourite destination you've been to and why? My favourite has been my last one, which is Tenerife. Why? Because, uh, one, because it was my last one. And also because uh, I took it, I went there with my brother. And uh, in uh, 20 years, we never had a proper holiday between me and my brother. Just me and him. So it was an incredible time and something that we really needed to bond as brothers. So I really cherished it, that, that holiday. I love that. Right. That's, That's cool. Good. That's cool. Um, what do you want to be known for? Uh, changing the standard of the personal development uh, events in, uh, in the personal development industry. Love that. Love that. What's your favorite movie and why? Moulin Rouge. I'm a sucker for Moulin Rouge. The Red Windmill. It's the best movie ever. I went even to go to Secret Cinema recently. Don't know if you guys know what Secret Cinema is. No. It's basically they create, the organizer creates a live experience on how it's to be there in that movie. And they do it with Star Wars. They do it. They did it with the dirty dancing. Really? They, they write it down. The most incredible experience. Every time there is one a year, I always go there. And the last one, last month, and I think right now is happening. So you might be able to get a ticket. Is uh, Moulin Rouge, and it was incredible. The reason why I love Moulin Rouge it is because I love musicals, and I think that, uh, and I'm a bit of a romantic one. I'm a very, very romantic person. So. It's a very cheesy movie, Moulin Rouge. A very cheesy movie. So <laughs> put music, musical, cheesiness in the air. It's like, hey, yo, that's me. I love it. I love it. Um, what's your favourite song of all time and why? Favourite song of all time? Well, 
The one is coming to me right now is uh, My Way Lim Biscuit. I love the Lim Biscuit, and uh, I was a uh, I was where like I really had long hair, and I was uh, in mosh pits and stuff when I was uh, when I was a teenager, and um, uh, I think uh, it's a great song uh, about this My Way. You deal with it. Where's your problem? And that's I kind of live my life. Unfortunately for the people around me, but <laughs> that's the kind of the way I live my life. So, and also it's a brilliant song. I could listen to this for ages. That's cool. Mm. Excellent. So, what's your first childhood memory? First childhood memory is uh, which one is coming to me right now? Oh, it was really interesting because actually it came to me that memory during um, a UPW, Unleash the Power with Danny with Tony Robbins. And uh, I was doing, when we was doing timeline therapy and going in, uh, uh, back in your story. And I remember I saw this image and I, I probably was a few weeks old. It was insane. Like, I didn't even think I could go that, that deep. Wow. But I was a few weeks old and uh, I saw myself uh, in, the, in the little bed where I was with my, my little vest. And uh, there were, and I had these bees over my head. There was this game with all the bees that were going around and the music. And then where my father and my mom, they were looking at me like I was uh, the best thing in the world. Wow. And I reconnected with the memory, and that's my first memory that I can ever remember. And uh, it's something that I, I cherish this moment. Uh, I'm blessed that I can remember that moment, which I don't know how or why, but it's crazy. That's incredible. That's probably one of the best childhood memory ones yeah. you've had. I love that. That's Definitely. really, really good. What? How amazing. Um, what question have you never been asked, but you've always wanted to be asked it? <laughs> <laughs> that's That's really interesting. Okay, that, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm answering actually with the first question that's coming to my mind, if yep. you don't mind. No, that's cool. Why be, <laughs> and don't judge me for this, please. <laughs> Never. Okay. <laughs> Why do you like hummus so much? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, if you were looking for something deeper and meaningful and profound, I'm sorry to... Oh, I love that, you. I love yeah. that. So why do you like why hummus? Do you? Yeah. Why, why do you like hummus? I don't have a bloody clue. Why do you, I think it's the best food in the world. I mean, I, love I just hummus. eat tubs of hummus and be the happiest person. I could, I could just have hummus for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I love hummus. I, mean, I, like, I like creamy things. Yeah. And I like flavor and creaminess at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and also when I came became vegan, I really missed like a kind of cream cheese. Yeah. Yeah. I think that hummus is the closest thing that I got to cheese, which I love. And that's that's cool. probably why my brain is making all this connection while yeah. I'm asking right now. So the best hummus so probably... I've ever had is in a... It is in Hedden Street, in just off of uh, Regent Street. It's a little Moroccan place there. It's the most creamiest, smoothest hummus you will ever have. It's incredible, okay? So that's my tip for you, all right? Little Listen, drizzle of olive oil on it. Exactly. It Brilliant. I'm there tomorrow. <laughs> and the final question is, yeah. who's your biggest inspiration and why? Biggest inspiration is... Uh, biggest inspiration... 
Hmm. I go with the, my mom, and uh, it might be a bit of a standard one, but uh, I go with the, with the standard this time. And uh, my mom, because uh, when my, uh, my father was an alcoholic before, and uh, so for my mom wasn't, she didn't have an easy life mm-hmm. at all. In particular, I mean, me and my brother's children, poof, <laughs> that was probably even more difficult than having my father as an alcoholic. And uh, she, I didn't realize that, and me and my brother, we didn't even realize anything up until I was 14. And at the time, my brother was eight, mm-hmm. eight years old. And uh, I don't know how she did. Like she pulled everything together. And I think it's insane. I mean, that's the level of strength and commitment on not letting and allowing your children to go to a painful experience, but taking all that pain on, on yourself mm-hmm. uh, for, for that cause and her purpose. And uh, uh, I haven't seen anything greater than that so far. That's pretty well, awesome. I'd say every single answer was spot on. It was really, really good. Definitely. Really My favourite is the hummus. Hummus. Right? I'm sorry. Your mum is amazing, but hummus, <laughs> come on. Hummus <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? wins every time. Actually, a, a client of mine gave me for my birthday a t-shirt, for, for Christmas a t-shirt with, written, got hummus. As I saw it sometimes, I go around with a t-shirt, got hummus. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Fantastic. Fantastic. But you know when I ordered to away, I order Lebanese. I always want to answer it because I order. I always want to answer it. Excellent. There you go. So you've anyway. been asked the question now. I love it. I love it. Oh, look, thank you so, so much for joining us this evening and for chatting to us. I know our guys are just absolutely going to love it. And the webinar um, has been fantastic. It's been so wonderful to speak to you and, you know, hear your story and all about your resilience, your self-belief. It's just fantastic. And mm. Barry and I need to get to one of your events, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> wow, thanks. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, let me know when, you are, when you're down the side. I'll send you, I'll send you the links. It'll be great to see you there. Awesome. We, we will make ourselves free to come to the event. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so after, much. After, after the wedding. Yes. <laughs> after the wedding, definitely, definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure being here. <laughs>